Shabbat Shalom. I hope you guys are having an awesome day. I am having an awesome day and I'm super excited to like talk to you guys about what I've learned from being able to have this opportunity to um, share this message with you guys. And I've actually, I have learned quite a lot of things that I think would be really cool uh, to share today. So I would just like to start off um, this message with a word of prayer. So. Dear God, please bless our time today at synagogue and as we celebrate Shavuot, and please give me the strength and the wisdom to share your word to the people listening. And thank you for always being a rock with us in the worst of times and in the best of times, and having guidance for us down any path of our life. Amen. So, do you guys or have you guys ever felt as if you get told to do something, maybe from your parents or a boss, and you don't really understand why you have to do that thing a certain way, and you're just like, that seems silly. I, I think I can do it a better way with this idea that I have, but you have to follow these rules that um, your superior sets out for you. And you okay, I guess. So I'd like to kind of think, I'd like to uh, ask you guys to keep that analogy in your mind as we go through this message of just um, be like not really always understanding the point of having to do something and that being okay. Um, so to kind of, before we dive in, I would like to be super honest with you guys that Shavu is something that I never really personally looked into. Um, and this, and like I said, this experience has really given me that opportunity, which I'm very grateful for. And it also gave me the chance to realize how critical and wonderful the recognition of God's wisdom and God's law is. Shavuot recognizes many things, but in the first part of my message, I'll be recognizing how it's about how God gave Moses the Torah to give to the Israelites. And later, I'll talk about uh, the fulfillment of a very important prophecy that was pretty, pretty cool. Um, so through our holidays, I find that I start to have a deeper understanding with God's uh, power and God's plan. Um, and for Shavuot, I realized that the Torah for the Israelites could not have been sugar-coated. And what, what do I mean by that? I mean that the Torah was not something that someone miles and miles away could have written or something that, um, that, that was a writing that somebody could have written at that time. No, these people, the Israelites, they had a personal encounter with God. And that personal encounter resulted in generations and generations of, of people in the future that were saved. And he saved them from possible extinction. The, in Numbers uh, chapter 11, verse 21, Moses says, The people among who I am are 600,000 men on foot, yet you have said, I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. First of all, do you guys understand how awesome it would to get free food for a month? <laughs> like, and this isn't just a trip to Publix. Like, no, this is literally the creator of the world giving you food for a month. And second, that is a lot of people. And counting possibly women and children and other people that may not have been counted in this number. God did not only save a couple hundred or a couple thousand people. He could have 
he saved possibly over 600,000. After God took the Israelites out of Egypt, they were at Mount Sinai, and God spoke to them, instructing Moses to come up to the top of the mountain. And in Exodus 24, verse 4, it says, And Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. Which is kind of cool for him. Like, that's pretty cool. And I have personally experienced God's wisdom. And even in some things that I didn't understand, going back to what I said in the beginning, and I, and I realized that God's wisdom and God's path in every part of God is the law. Because God is the law. And humans are meant to follow. Humans are not meant to be in charge, and that is something that I have stood by and I will stand by for my life. Humans are not supposed to make, be making blind decisions based on their moral compasses. And we have seen this in our world today, and I'm sure you guys could give a pretty good guess on why. Because of the faulty reliance of our moral compasses. People will say, I'm not a follower, I'm a leader. And to that I say, you need to know your place. Because you are not. You are not a leader. You are a follower, but you think that you are not following the word of God, and you are not following God. When in reality, everyone is. You are either following God or Satan. <laughs> God is the law, and God's moral compass is engraved in everyone's conscience. And he gave that to us, written down on that day. I believe that I can safely assume that almost everyone in this room has been betrayed once in their life. Betrayed by your family or your friends or people that you thought would be there with you in your darkest times just as they were with you when you were at your highest and you were thriving. And God was betrayed again and again and again. Exodus 32, verse 1 says, When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come make us gods who will go before us. And this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to them, to him. First of all, did Moses get them out of, out of Egypt? No. He, did he even have the strength without God? No. Did he even have the idea to go back without God? No. Moses didn't bring them out of Egypt. God brought them out of Egypt. Verse 2, Aaron answers them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives and sons and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So, that, so all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. They created a meaningless animal out of gold because they became impatient. They created an animal that was used to sacrifice to God because they thought they were leaders. And that was betrayal. They made a calf because they wanted a God that they could see, uh, feel his presence, hear, and really have a personal connection with. 
And I don't know what was going on with the Israelites, but I have had all of those things with God. I have seen God work, and I have seen God move. I have seen God answer my prayers, and I have seen just a fraction of his power. I have heard God heard his law, heard his wisdom, and heard his guidance. And I have had a personal encounter with him many times in my life. But the thing is, that can be masked as evil. I, and being completely honest, I have also seen Satan, and I have seen him work, and I have seen him move. And throughout all of those things, I feel as if I have had a personal encounter with both of them. But being in the dark realizes how much we need the stability of the light. And the light is God, but the devil can disguise as goodness. But he takes pleasure in pain. And our God, the God, takes pleasure in our happiness and our success. The light shows his love. He, love is him and he is the law. His moral guidance is not the only, his moral guidance not only brings you closer to him, but as closest as you can be to worldly happiness. There once was a metaphor that my parents used to explain to me their rules and how they viewed their parenting. They said, it's better to be able to go outside and be able to run around wherever you would like inside of the fenced area than either be shut inside or thrown out into the world without having a face or know how to make a fence for yourself. Sometimes we can make those fences and we can create our own based on what another human says. What a statue says we can and cannot do, what the stars say we can and cannot do, what the internet says we can and cannot do, or even what a golden calf says we can and cannot do. Every single one of those, they will fall, and they will break, and they will prove of no value and of no importance, and they will betray you. But you know who will never do any of those things? The God who created the law, the God who created us, the people who need the law, who created the grass outside of your backyard with, where the fence is, who created the sky and the birds and the person who was meant to be in that fence. These writings and traditions have been passed down for thousands and thousands of years. And it has yet to prove that it does not bring happiness and it does not bring stability. And that shows that God will never betray you. And that God will always guide you through any path of life. One of the most pressing points in the Bible is how if we follow God and if we rely on him and listen to his words and follow his rules, we will be blessed and he will never turn his back. Second Thessalonians 3 verse 3 says, But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Psalms 121, verse 3, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Psalms 145, verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. God's law is one that has never been proved to not bring happiness, guidance, and moral stability. 
Maybe in the moment it can be annoying that you have to follow these laws laid out for you. And when the Israelites finally reached the promised land, only two out of these thousands of people were allowed in. Caleb and Joshua. And all they had to do was follow God, his law, and trust in him. And life got so amazing for them. So what do you think will happen in your life if you faithfully follow the word of God and follow his rules? Perhaps you already do, but we can always, always be better and don't let anyone tell you otherwise. You are not perfect. You aren't. Nobody is except for God. But how we can compensate for that is by always trying to be better. God's law is also the spirit. And this is where we will transition into the fulfillment of the prophecy. Um, it, God shows how the law of the Lord and the Holy Spirit is one. In Acts 2, it starts by saying, The festival of Shavuot arrived, and the believers all gathered together in one place. Verse 2. Suddenly, there came a sound from the sky like a roar of a violent wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Verse 3, then they saw what looked like tongues of fire, which separated and came to rest on each of them. In verse 4, they were all filled with the Ruach HaKodesh and began to talk in different languages as the Spirit enabled them to speak. This happened to the teachers, and all of the, all of the visitors were, started to understand everything that they were saying in their own individual languages. And they were so amazed that they started to believe that it was actually not happening and the teachers were drunk. And what is so amazing to me is that humans do not change. I am positive that sometime previously those people have asked God, prove to me that you're real. Show me, show me your power. And then the second that God shows them, they believe it's something else. It's just a coincidence. They're crazy. It's not really God. It's just the situation, the environment. They try to put a manly understanding and a humanly explanation into the power of God, which nobody can do. Then in verse 14 it says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven and raised his voice to address them. You Judeans, all of you staying here in Jerusalem, let me tell you what this means. Listen carefully to me. These people aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken about through the prophet Joel. And on this day, a prophecy was fulfilled, and this prophecy God himself says, and this is the prophecy. Adonai says, In the last days I will pour out my spirit upon everyone. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young, man, your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my slaves, both men and women, will pour out from my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And I will perform miracles in the sky above and signs on the earth below blood, fire, and thick smoke. The sun will become dark, and the moon blood before the great and fearful day of Adonai comes. And then, whoever calls out the name of Adonai will be saved. 
The Spirit of God fulfilled this prophecy on that day of Shavuot when everyone is gathered celebrating the reign of God and his law, a time where it was shown visibly how the Spirit and God's law are intertwined and are one. And what I'm asking you guys to do is to look at your life and say, what can I do better? How can I follow the law of God and how can I do it better? Because I promise that God has so much in store for every single one of us. If we stay loyal to him and if we follow his law and if we show others the power of his law, just like Moses did when he came down from the mountain and destroyed the golden calf. We have to trust God and his plans and we have to live out his love by staying inside of the fence that God sets up for us and by honoring his rules and by practicing every single day as if it was the day that we will stand before him in his throne room and he says to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Thank you for your time. Well, I had a nice four-hour dissertation on the book of Ruth prepared. I think that's a moot point now. Okay, guys, I want you to see something. Did you just hear the words she spoke from the prophet Joel? Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Did you hear the words of the Holy Spirit pouring from that young lady's mouth? And for those of you here that were here last week, those two tremendous warriors of the kingdom of God as they spoke, did you not hear the words of the Holy Spirit pouring through their mouths? The thing with the prophet Joel is that it's not nice, flowery, picturesque language that's an imperative. Your young men and your daughters will prophesy. It's not they should prophesy, they will teach. It will be powerful teaching. It will be teaching of truth, and where you have teaching of truth, it is to combat darkness, and we live in a world of darkness. It's a crazy world out there. It's a nuts world. How many of you have figured this out? If you haven't, I need you to create a Facebook account, <laughs> and you will figure it out really quickly. It's nuts out there. What's interesting, I sort of jokingly say this about the book of Ruth. I might touch on a little bit in the book of Ruth. But the truth is, there's not a lot more that I could say that she just didn't say. As far as a Shavuot-based message, that is the message that the Holy Spirit wanted you to hear. All I have is little tidbits to add to her message. If you remember nothing from today, I want you to remember her words. You must seek truth. You must live truth. You must not call that which is beautiful and wonderful evil. You must call it blessed and good. And the law and the Torah of our king is blessed and good. And those who call it a curse are operating for the enemy. It is not a curse. How many of you feel cursed by being able to take a day off and rest and come and celebrate with your fellow brothers and sisters today? Is this a curse? Brian, I am so cursed. Let's, let's do this every week. Bring it on. Here's what I do want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about the plan of God. I want to talk to you about how majestic this plan is. 
It was laid in from the very foundation of this planet. I believe he had this entire plan, including his Shabbat and his holy days and everything planned out before he ever said, and let there be, and there was. This is nothing new. He had this plan. He had a plan for you and all the nations of the world lined out before he even breathed the utterance that created matter into existence. And this king that you serve, an unbelievable king, a powerful king. He can do anything that he wants to. He could write anything that he wants to. He could, he could raise up anybody that he wants to. And look at the people that he raised up in here. You sort of go, I didn't think you were going to make it, but you did. <laughs> but we have a king that cares and that loves. I would tell you, my family and I, and first let me just say this, thank you to Beth Israel. Thank you for adopting and bringing in my family. It was exactly one year ago this Shavuot weekend that we first visited in person with you. A year. And now we're here. You've adopted us. You've brought us in. You've loved on us. Rick and Karen, thank you for your hospitality and your love. Oh, my goodness, how wonderful that was. Dave, where you? Oh, there you are, brother. He's back there. Okay. Hi, Dave. Wave at me, buddy. There you are. That is my brother. Okay. I love that man. You're an encouragement to me. Thank you, Brian. Thank you for all you do. And Eric, everything you do. And Cantor Stephen, I'm so glad you're on your feet, buddy. Good job. All of you, I love you. My family loves you. We are so grateful to be here. You are an answer to prayer. We seeked for years to find a place where we could go where there was good teaching. And Rabbi Levine, if you're hearing this later on, thank you for blessed and good teaching. Maybe you're watching right now. Maybe you're sleeping and resting. That would be a good thing, too. <laughs> we wanted to come to a place where there was joy and there was peace. And for people watching online right now, if you have never been here in person, you need to make this your next trip. Forget Disneyland. Come to Beth Israel. <laughs> Because you experience good online, you ain't experienced nothing until you're in person. This is a home. And here's what I want you to be prepared for. God is just getting started in his work within a short period of time. You're going to have to be elbowing people out of your way to get a seat in this sanctuary. Because the Lord is about ready to continue a work that he started 2,000 years ago, and he's just been getting going. Let me tell you why I think that. Let's talk about his holy days. Many of you know that his holy days are a plan, a type, a, a, a type, a shadow. There's something that is being worked out. And especially with Passover, we all know that there was an initial Passover where the Lord delivered us from Egypt. And thank you for saying that. It wasn't Moses. As good as Moses is, it was the Lord. He just said, hey, Mo, <laughs> what? <laughs> Go talk to that guy that you know there that sits in that throne room. At least Moses had the guts to do that. But it was the Lord that delivered us, right? It was the Lord that passed through the land and freed his people. It was the Lord who delivered us. And we know on that day, on that Passover, he did. And then we also know as the Hameshachim, as the believers in the Messiah, as his family, that the Messiah also delivered on Passover the day of his execution. We know that that tied together. But do you realize also, especially in the book of Genesis, there are a host of number of other items that fell on the Passover. God's promise with Abraham on the Passover. 
Jewish tradition differs whether or not Isaac was born on Passover. Some say Passover, some say on Rosh Hashanah. There's a tradition that says that the three visitors that came and spoke with Abraham came to him on the Passover. Whether these are the case or not, there seems to be an interesting thread that keeps happening on the Passover. But Passover is not the only thing. It's like God has created these appointed times to have this appointment with his people to say, hey, here's when we can get together. It's sort of like if I sent out an announcement to you, and by the way, I'm all adopting you as family, dad especially, okay. <laughs> by the way, there is a scandal there, I'm sure. <laughs> here's the other thing. You were talking about the wedding that's about to come up. You called that an international incident. I've got to be at that wedding now. <laughs> that sounds exciting. Okay. If I was to send out a, an announcement to all of you saying that we want to get together for a family reunion, we want to get together, we're going to order t-shirts that all look alike, okay, but we're getting together for a family reunion, wouldn't it be a smart idea if I included the time and the date and the where and the when and what the expectations were? Do you realize that God has done nothing short of that with you? And yet the world thinks God's way is crazy, and they're confused, and you're exactly right. They are confused because they have separated themselves from the truth of the Lord. They've separated themselves from the plan that he had lined out for them. And by separating themselves from it, they no longer can see what his plan for mankind is. Of course they're lost. But God laid this out from the very foundation of the planet that there would be a Passover and that Passover would have implications for restoration between him and mankind. And it's also interesting, as you keep studying through that, in the scripture it talks about this festival called Yom Habikurim, which if you wanted me to translate it for you, means first fruits. What's fascinating in the scriptures is the only one who can fulfill the obligations to Yom Habikurim, the wave offering of grain before the Lord, is the high priest. And if you look at the dating of when things should have fallen on the year of Messiah's execution, his resurrection would have taken place right at the time of the Yom Habikurim offering. And the only one who can lift that offering before the Lord is the high priest, and the only one who could lift himself up as the offering for all mankind is our high priest, Yeshua. Do you see that there might be, as you said, a coincidence there? And then we get to, are you ready for this one? The makeup Passover. How many of you have studied about the makeup Passover? In the book of Numbers, you know, there's a little thing there where in Numbers chapter 9, the Lord says, hey, you know what? If you're on a journey or if you're contaminated by a dead body and you can't keep the Passover, which is a requirement for you to keep, if you can't do that, you can keep it 30 days later. And you're sort of looking at that going, how come that's the only makeup day we get? Why couldn't I do another makeup day for like if I miss Yom Kippur? Because <laughs> I might not want to fast for 24 hours. I could just make it up later on. How come I don't get a makeup for Yom Kippur? Because what the Lord was doing was laying a foundation saying, there's going to come a time in the future that my family is going to need that day. If Yeshua was crucified at the time that the lambs were being slaughtered, then truthfully, they were not, even though he was the Passover sacrifice, he and his Talmudim were not able to keep that Passover. But did not Yeshua rise from the dead? And if he didn't rise from the dead, why in the world are you sitting in those seats? 
Because if he rose from the dead, as I know he rose from the dead, and he walked this planet and came back and met with the men and women that loved him dearly, 30 days later, he was still around because he didn't ascend to his father until the 40th day. There is a reason that Numbers 9 talks about this makeup Passover. Can you imagine what that time together was when everybody came back together? Because they had been defiled by a dead body. One was a dead body. And one was on a big journey, okay? When they came back together in 30 days, what that must have been like? The scripture doesn't tell us there, but there was a reason it's in Numbers 9. And then we get to Shavuot. And Shavuot is much bigger than our modern world would like it to be. I know the scripture does talk about us meeting in the upper room. We did have an upper room that we met in. But in the passage that you read in the book of Acts, and well put, it simply talks about that we were gathered together in a room. It doesn't say specifically the upper room. It says a room. There is every likelihood, specifically since this is the festival of Shavuot, and where would the followers of the Messiah who love the law of God want to be on the festival, the high holiday of Shavuot? tucked away in a room, or celebrating at the temple? Where would they have been? Where would you have been? Okay, because these, these guys are starting to develop a little bit of chutzpah, and wait a second, the chutzpah is going to be poured on with nitrous here. It's going to be amazing. They're there, as a lot of historians and a lot of scholars believe, in Solomon's colonnade, which means if they're speaking there, and all of a sudden, the Ruach HaKodesh pours out upon them with these tongues of fire, and people start hearing them speak in other languages. This was not something done in private. This is not something done hidden. This is something that is available for the world to see. And why do I think that was the case? Because it talks about at the end result of that day, 3,000 were added to their number. 3,000. Okay, guys, let's just say we're in the upper room. We're going to cut the room right in half right now. We're up there. The only people that can hear us are down, there, down below because we're not fitting all 3,000 up in the room, right? That's a lot of people that have to buy tickets to hear this show. But if you're at Solomon's Colonnade and all of a sudden everything's going on there at the temple and you're seeing this and tongues of fire coming down on these people and now they are proclaiming with a loud voice the majesty the, the, the kingdom, the redemption of Messiah Yeshua, and you can understand him and you know you shouldn't, but now you do, that is a different thing altogether. God does not operate in secret. He never has. He never will. He's not going to now. Amen. This was out in the open. This was power. Just like the giving of the Torah was out in the open. How much out in the open do you have to be than standing around Sinai hearing the thunderings and the trumpets and the voice of the Lord and the people quivering in fear going, don't let him talk to us and we'll die. <laughs> Yutzes. <laughs> this is a powerful moment out in the open. And it was shared by many people just as the case was with this. Oh, by the way, thank you for bringing up my namesake, Aaron. You talk with Cantor Aaron or myself, I can't tell you the number of times people come up to us and say, well, you know, the guy you're named after did this. <laughs> okay, fine. It's not me. I didn't make the cow. <laughs> but there's another thing with that as well. You talk about 
the beauty of God's symmetry and his plan? What does it tell us happens after the cow was made and, we came, and Moses came down and he saw the cow? What does he tell the Levites to do? He says, strap on the sword and I want you to go through the camp and I want you to kill your brothers. The scripture tells you a very clear number of how many perished that day. Do you remember the number? 3,000. God is a master of balancing scales. Have you noticed this? 3,000 perished. 3,000 were added to. Type, shadow. This is the plan of God. This is his picture. This is what he wants. This is where he's driving to. What's really fascinating, though, and people focus in on this, and I think we sometimes major and minors, we get off on the unimportant things rather than focusing on the important things. If you talk with a lot of people about what happened at the Festival of Shavuot, the Festival of Pentecost that year, they will always talk about the speaking in tongues. In actuality, it might even be more accurately saying it's a hearing in tongues. Who knows? But they're missing the biggest miracle. And the biggest miracle is along the lines of what this princess of the kingdom told you today is that people do not naturally change. They don't naturally change. And when they supernaturally change and when they supernaturally repent, that is a miracle that shakes the foundations of the planet. The trouble is, at this time, there was a thought in Judaism that the only people that would ever be able to inherit the kingdom of God was Israel. And you actually see this a little bit. For those of you that are like information junkies like I am, you can actually go back, look at the Talmud in Talmud Tractate Sanhedrin, chapter 10. It talks about who is worthy to inherit the kingdom of God and pretty much says, it's Israel on the merits of Abraham. Everybody else, good luck. If you are a, sorry, I don't mean any offense by the term, but if you are a Gentile at that time and you want to follow the Lord, but everybody is telling you if you follow the Lord, you really have nothing outside of this, enjoy your life because then it's over, that's sort of a worthless way to live. Now, I have told my children before, even if everything, there is no life after death, even if there is no hope of a resurrection, I would still follow the Torah that I follow because I know of no better way to live. I know of no better way to have peace, life, and happiness. However, I am absolutely convinced in my core there is an after death. And there is a resurrection. And the Messiah that I worship and love with all my heart was raised from the dead. And if he was, I want to be there with him. But I want you to understand how monumental what is happening really is. It's not about speaking in tongues. It's not even about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It is about the fact that the Lord has decided at this moment and at this point in time, he's wanting to make it brutally obvious that everybody is welcome in his kingdom. Everybody. Every race, every tongue, every tribe, every person, the only requirement is turning to him. That's it. That's the requirement. How amazing is this? This message that all of a sudden I now can have eternal life. 
I can be part of your kingdom. This is when Paul is writing in 1 Corinthians and 1 Thessalonians, and he's writing about this. You know that passage, the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised, you know, will be changed, will be incorruptible. He's writing not to a primary Jewish congregation. These congregations are primarily of the nations. There might be some Jews scattered among them, but they're primarily of the nations. And when he's writing this, he's saying, guys, guess what? This idea that you don't have a part in the kingdom? Rubbish! You've got a huge part in the kingdom. How fantastic is that? That's part of the message of Shavuot. Not that we can speak in different languages, but that all languages will be able to speak with him in his kingdom. That's the picture of Shavuot. It's an amazing time. Have you had a chance to read the book of Isaiah? Anybody had a chance to read Isaiah? Some of you are gluttons for punishment. Yay. Okay. It's a huge book. It's a great book, guys. Read Isaiah. I call Isaiah the gospel of the Tanakh. Because I've heard people say that throughout the entirety of the Tanakh, there's something like 430 you know, messianic prophecies that Yeshua fulfilled. And this is a, not an untrue statement. But there are over 500 points of context in the book of Isaiah alone. Over 500 that are direct alliterations and pointings to Yeshua in Isaiah alone. It's always, it makes me laugh when people just quote a couple chapters out of Isaiah. Just read the whole book. It's an exciting thing. And if we ever have a chance and we want to, we can put together a 15-week deep dive dissertation on the book of Isaiah and all fall asleep. That'll be fun. But it's an amazing book. But I want you to hear two things here. And I want to actually sort of wrap up what I'm talking about with a challenge to you. Beth Israel sits at this interesting crossroad right now where we are at the apex of the greatest evangelistic movement that will ever take place on the planet. I want you to hear me say that again. We are at the apex of the greatest evangelistic movement that will ever take place on this planet. You thought the stuff that happened in 33, 34 AD was big? Hold on to your seats. Because evangelistic movements come out of darkness. And your society is in darkness right now. Goodness sakes, people. People don't even know what gender they are. You want to go into a society, illustrate darkness, just have people go, I don't get it. I don't know. I don't know what I am. I will tell you right now, there are only two pronouns that you need to be aware of. Are you ready? Am I his and is he yours? Those are the only pronouns you need to be worried about. Am I his and is he yours? The rest of it is garbage. So you live in a world of darkness. And when there's darkness, people start seeking for truth, hoping for truth, desperate for truth. And your job, like those of your forefathers and your foremothers that were up in Solomon's colonnade on that day of Shavuot so many wonderful years ago, your job is not to hide the truth under a basket, but let it be out in the open so people can see truth. I don't care whether you're Jewish by birth or French by birth. You share the same responsibility when you are Messiahs by birth. You must work together, you must be strong together, and you must promote truth together. Isaiah 42, verse 6. He's talking to national Israel. 
God says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nation. So he's saying, Israel, you have a job to do. I gave you my Torah. Shine. Shine. Do you think that the Torah of the Lord is the most amazing thing that's ever been given to this planet? With one exception who is also the embodiment of the Torah of the Lord. Yes? Shine it. Do not be ashamed of it. Call truth, truth. Call life, life. Call holiness, holiness. I give you a contrasting scripture, which is actually in Isaiah, I believe, writing, pointing towards the Messiah, 49, verse 6. He says, also the Lord speaking, It's too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. So I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is why I say you as the messianic believers, you hold a very crucial tip of the spear role in this evangelistic work that's about to take place. And by this, I don't mean that we're supposed to go out and evangelize the church and run out there and try to stand on street corners. Even though some of you might get the unction to do that, it might be interesting to watch in video and post on Facebook. But here's what I do know. When people ask you questions, it's not time to play politically nice. It's time to speak Messiah truth. Because the world needs it. So if we are to be the light to the nations and the Messiah as our king is the ultimate light to all nations, our role is to teach truth to the nations. It's that simple. See, I'm not kidding when I said I had a lot of material for you. (laughs) I've covered two of my pages because the rest of it is fluff. Truly, the rest of it is fluff. I want you to remember what she said. I want you to practice what she said. And I want you to be ready for a work that you can't even begin to fathom. Because I will tell you, the Lord is just getting started. Shabbat shalom. Have a great Shavuot.